You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Hey, if you're new with us, my name's Joe. If I haven't met you yet, make sure that uh, make sure I get to meet you before you take off. And on behalf of The Well, we'd just like to say welcome. We're glad you're here, glad you're worshiping with us this evening. Uh, stoked to dive back into the scriptures with you guys tonight. I want, kind of want to give the same introduction we've been giving the last few weeks. We're just diving back into our five-week series on money. This will be week four. And our purpose with this series is to intentionally bring five key passages of scripture to bear upon our thinking, our heart's desires, as well as our behaviors as it pertains to money. Difficult topic, tough topic. We're a church that's three and a half going on four years old, never preached on the topic of money unless it comes up in the text. Normally, if you know us well, we preach through books of the Bible and we take years to do that. So consequently, we've only worked through like two and a half books of the Bible so far. And so we do that intentionally because we like to just kind of soak in the, in the slow study every week of God's word. So if money comes up as a topic, we'll, we'll tackle it. Um, but we have not done it intentionally like we are in this five-week series. So if you're new with us, this may be um, different for you, maybe. Um, my prayer and my hope is that even if you are busy with us, this will still really challenge you and that the gospel will just come to bear upon the way, again, like I said, that we think, that we desire, and that we then behave or use our money. Uh, the other thing about this is that we are also leaning into this topic throughout the week in our gospel communities, and we're utilizing some really good study guides. I know some of you are part of those gospel communities. We're leaning into these study guides that have been generously donated to us by Corumdale Church out of Omaha, Nebraska. Thankful for them and their investment in us. And our prayer, our prayer is that this five-week series would kind of continue to cultivate like repentance and gospel transformation in every one of us as it pertains to money. And then I think the other thing that we really need to do is just to be super like unapologetic um, in terms of who we are as a church. Eric already said some of this earlier, but we need to be really unapologetic about kind of the fragile nature of who we are as a church plan and, and what we're doing here. We've been at this for a couple of years, right? Uh, and we always say that we want to be a church that is a gospel-centered church family that is uh, a growing disciples who glorify God that are running a rescue mission within a yard of hell. And the reality of that uh, whole ordeal is that we are a very young church plant, and our, and, our, and our mission is to make disciples who make disciples who get on mission to make other disciples. And so then, like all of that said, uh, this crucial season kind of that we're in over the next few months um, is just kind of us pushing towards internal sustainability. Uh, so if our budget is like $81,000 or $82,000 a year, 20000 of that is, is, is uh, supported internally by all of us as a church family. The other 60-some thousand of that is raised externally, and a large chunk of that dries up in June, as Eric has already said. And that's why part of the big push is there, that we just really need to trust the Lord as we talk about this topic and as we look to the scriptures to really um, uh, kind of confront us where we are at in terms of money. So... Those are some of the reasons for this series. I feel super privileged to have kind of the weight and the responsibility of studying through this throughout the week and then the opportunity to challenge all of us in terms of what God's Word says. So before we head into God's Word here in a minute, I want to pray over the Word and just invite God to just really speak to us. So if you bow your heads with me, that'd be great. Father, Father, we come before you this evening with the Scriptures in front of us. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would just be really present among us and that you would just cultivate our hearts and our minds. 
Lord, I pray that you would um, be like a light on the scriptures, that you would just shine a light uh, on the scriptures and then like from the scriptures to our hearts, that you would just reflect the, the message of the gospel to us in such a way that, that we would be um, motivated uh, to, to honor you with, with our money. Lord, I pray that you would make the words of this text tonight come alive in front of us. And that you would challenge the motivations of our hearts as it pertains to the way that we serve you with our money. In the way that we love you. In the way we live our lives. Help us to become and continue to become a people who um, just trust in you for our sustenance, our sustainability. God, we just need you. Lord, we need you, and we, uh, we need you to help continue to cultivate like a fresh faith deep within our hearts, whereby we would just continue to trust in you more and more as the days go by. So God, I just pray that, that your word would be powerful in our midst, and that you would really uh, deeply convict the motivations of our hearts this evening. Pray for those things, and I trust you to do it, Lord God. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen, amen. So I want you to ask yourself this question um, as you think about money for a minute and as we kind of dive into week four of this. Ask yourself this question, what, what motivates you to give generously? What motivates you? Like, what gets you out of the bed in the morning to write that check or give money away um, as it seems? What is it that kind of makes you want to be generous with what God has given you? Some of us, I think at times, uh, would be motivated to give generously based upon this principle that we believe that God asks us to be generous and therefore we want to be obedient to Him. And so sometimes we may become more generous just based upon a desire to be obedient to God, which in and of itself is not necessarily wrong. In fact, it's a good thing to want to be obedient. I know those of you that have kids have probably oftentimes looked at your kids and said, I need you to be obedient right now. Right now, it's time for obedience. We'll talk about the rest later, right? Probably many times we've had that conversation with a kid, sometimes that can be a good motivation for us. When obedience is the only motivator that pushes us or motivates us or gives us fuel to be generous, what can happen sometimes we can become just merely legalistic. Hey, hey God, I, uh, I did what you asked me to do. I gave a certain amount of money this week, so you now need to bless me, which becomes a give-to-get scheme. God, would you please bless me as I give? Uh, God, would you please smile down upon me now? Like somehow deep down inside, we like maybe see Jesus in heaven like fist bumping us from heaven because we've done so well that week because we were generous, right? There is a tendency to move towards that or even maybe to move in a different direction to give ourselves a, a pat on the back as we walk out of those situations where we have the opportunity to be generous and we give ourselves a pat on the back. Yeah, I did pretty good today. Yeah, I, like, I, I get to go home and smoke a cigar and have a beer, right? Like I'm good. So we can pat ourselves on the back, bring attention to ourselves, try to get God to smile down upon us and be more pleased with us. Sometimes obedience can start out the right way and then merely turn into this legalistic um, mentality that we have. And then what happens too is in the midst of that, if we fail 
If we fail to reach the standard that we believe that God laid out for us, then we can begin to lay that standard on everybody else around us too. Like you have to do X, Y, and Z to keep everybody from seeing some of our failures and our mistakes becomes a legalistic way of living in terms of generosity rather than grace, rather than just the picture of grace. Like when we begin to see a picture of God in heaven as a generous father that he is, how could that motivate us? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, Paul outlines something very similar in terms of motivations for giving generously. Basic motivations in chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, and, and those three motivations are, are kind of simply this. He basically says that we should be motivated to give generously because of the model of other Christians around us who give generously as well. And then we should also be giving because of the message of the gospel. And then we should also be giving because of our commitment to the community of the gospel. Paul says this, beginning in verse 1. He says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. In this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, Finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Or if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. See, in these verses, the Apostle Paul, what he's doing is he's tackling the motivations of our hearts. He's seeking to motivate the Corinthian church to be generous in their giving. He's seeking to encourage them to be generous in giving to a fund that had been previously set up for the purpose of bringing like a financial relief to other churches throughout the area that were struggling in the midst of economic downturn or economic erosion. 
Apparently the economy of that time was falling apart. The bottom was coming out of the market and people were suffering and they were struggling. And so if you look throughout the book of Acts and if you look into 1 Corinthians, you'll find traces of how the Apostle Paul set up this fund through some of the local churches to give into to bring relief to those who were suffering during this time. And the Corinthian church had made a pledge, not like sign on a piece of paper, but they had made a pledge of how much they were going to give generously in to this relief fund. And what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's preparing to come to Corinth along with a bunch of other dudes. It almost has the feeling to me of a little bit of a mafia shakedown. A um, bunch of dudes going to come and, and get the money that had been pledged. Certain that it wasn't a mafia shakedown. It's just the way that I read the scriptures when I look at it. Okay, So it's not that. It's not coercion. It's not meant to be coercion. Corinthian church had made this pledge and Paul was getting ready to come and, and basically collect that money and collect that offering so that people's needs could be met and so that churches in those areas could continue in the ministry of making disciples through the preaching of the gospel. So as Paul prepares to do that, he writes this letter and sends it ahead and is basically saying, hey, I want to motivate you in a healthy way to give generously. So then he kind of outlines these three reasons that we should be motivated. Motivation of other people and their generous giving. The motivation of the message of the gospel and the generosity we have received through our good Father in heaven. As well as the motivation of our commitment to the community of the gospel. So let's kind of break it down. In verses 1 through 6, we, again, we learn that we should be motivated. We could be motivated to give generously because of the model of other Christians. I want you to think uh, for a minute about, about the crazy acts of generosity that you have witnessed or that you have experienced from other Christians or other people. Think about somebody who has been super generous to you. Think about the sacrificial acts of generosity that you personally have witnessed either being extended towards you or extended towards someone else. Th th think about how uh, when someone is uh, extremely generous, think about how like your categories for uh, what it means to be generous can be like totally shattered in those moments. Like in those moments when somebody has been generous towards you, you see somebody being extremely generous towards someone else, it can just rock your world, right? You can think, I never thought somebody would do something like that. <coughs> think about how much of a blessing it is to you, even, when you give generously. How much that just blesses you deep down inside. Now, now I want you to also think about this thing, kind of this one negative thing. I want you to think about the excuses that we often make for not giving Generously. Oftentimes we make many excuses. I don't have enough. Times have been hard. If I give this, I don't know how I'm going to pay that. In these first few verses, what Paul is doing is he's attempting to motivate the Corinthian church to give generously because of the model of generous giving from other Christians, specifically Christians in Macedonia. Paul says this, says, I want you to know, brothers, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that is given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, catch that. Like circle that in a severe test of affliction. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. You think about these words. Think about the way Paul is telling this story. Paul does not point to the, the wealthiest people in the room to say, hey, look how much money they're giving. 
Now you do the same. He does it the opposite of what we might often do. Paul instead says, hey, hey, the Macedonian churches are modeling what it means to give generously. Like they're not letting their severe affliction or their extreme poverty become an excuse or become uh, uh, an excuse or even become selfish or irresponsible with what little they do have. Instead, they, they seized this predicament that they were living in. They seized this predicament as an opportunity for the gospel to shine brightly through their abundance of joy. Those exact words that Paul uses. It reminds me of, the, reminds me of James when James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials and hardships of all different kinds. Apostle Paul is mirroring that and saying, man, in the abundance of joy, these churches who were extremely impoverished and suffering in hardship, they gave generously. They gave generously out of the wealth of the abundance of their joy, which overflowed. You think of these words that Paul uses, overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. This is a, a picture of a glass of water under a stream of water, and that, that glass is just overflowing continuously. And the only way that, that glass can, discontinues, like overflowing, is if you turn the source of the water off, correct? The only way that glass discontinues overflowing is when you turn that source off. And what Paul is pointing to is the fact that the source of God's grace was overflowing among these churches that were poor. Such a way that they were giving of themselves generously. Paul is describing what it looks like to model generous giving despite the trials, like despite the hardships, despite the financial poverty. Maybe despite the afflictions or suffering of life, Paul is saying, hey, regardless of those things, those are not excuses for us not to be generous. Modeling generous giving means this for us. It means that we must resist the temptation towards self-preservation. We must, we must pursue opportunities to be more and more and more and more generous in our giving. And that's, that's not all Paul says. That's all Paul says in this passage in regards to the Macedonian churches and their model of generous giving. He also explains that they gave according to their means and beyond their means. So they gave according to their means and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us. He uses this word, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Before I even look at my notes again, I would just say this. My understanding of the... Uh, of the Christian community at large, around the nation, especially here in America, is that we give roughly 3% of our income away. Now, that's not just in the church. That's in the church, outside the church, in many different ways. That the, the way that we model giving is we give roughly 3%. That's just kind of uh, everybody's giving altogether, right? And, and I have this thought when it comes to uh, the way that we handle our money and the way that we come at this topic of giving generously. And kind of the concept that I have in my head that I think really comes from Scripture is this, that, that, that we, we, we should be the most generous people in the world. We should be the most generous people in the world because so much has been given to us. Apostle Paul is saying that Christians in Macedonia gave generously in direct proportion to their income, indirect proportion of their income, even though they were extremely poor. Even though they were extremely poor, they gave 
in direct proportion to what God was already providing for them. And in fact, Paul tells the Corinthians that the Macedonians not only gave in proportion to what their income was, they gave beyond their means of their own accord. Nobody had to compel them to do this. Nobody had to instruct them to do this. They gave of their means and beyond their means of their own accord. He even says, man, they came and they begged to be a part of this kind of relief. Begged to become part of this kind of relief. So it wasn't a competition. It wasn't a competition to see who could give more. There was an opportunity to give generously into proportion to what their income was. So the Macedonians uh, didn't give the leftovers of their irresponsible living. That's a problem for us in America. That's a problem for us as people. We have a tendency not to think of what God asks of us first. We also don't have a tendency to think of what God has given us first. We have a tendency to think of what I need to spend my money on first. But it appears as though the Macedonians, as a poor church that they were, an impoverished church that they were, desired to give more, even based upon their income. They even came and begged. but It wasn't the leftovers of their irresponsible living. It appears that the Macedonian church, as they give, that they, they planned carefully how they would spend their money in such a way that they could be generous. Think about that. If every time you and I spent another dollar, if we thought, okay, if I spend this on this, how does that impact my ability to give generously? How does it impact that? And is there something I could live without so that I could give even more? This is the way that I see the Macedonian churches living in regards to their generous giving. I think they planned how they would spend their money in such a way that they could be generous over and above what was actually expected of them. It's not just that they gave proportionately to their income as well as over and above their income, but it's also that they gave in such a way that when they came to Paul, they were begging earnestly for the favor of taking part like they were asking, please let us be a part of this. We want to be a part of that. You think about the grand vision of what it means to plant churches. And this is part of the reason we're preaching through this series. You think about the grand vision to plant churches. I mean, the idea of planting a church is literally seeing something come out of nothing. A church that did not exist, a community of people that did not exist prior to a certain time, the idea is that somehow, by God's grace, a few people would come together, preach the gospel, live the gospel, and give of ourselves in such a way that that community would continue to come about and, and come into some sort of a, a physical representation of the gospel in our community. That only happens by the power of a generous God who pours out the message of the gospel so that sinners could become saved so that we could go from being consumers to givers. That's, that's what happens in the midst of church planting. You think of this grand vision. This grand vision they had here was, was very similar. Paul was a church planter, man. He planted something like 13, 15 different churches. What he said about these people is they wanted to be a part of this vision of being a group of churches that were, that were not only growing in the gospel but were also able to serve others in their community who had great needs. That they would not allow their excuses and their poverty to become those excuses or, or anything to short-circuit the amount of which they could be generous. So modeling generous giving means that we must seek 
These opportunities for giving generously, like favorable opportunities that we could uh, seek to be a part of. It's something we should be a part of as a church family. It's seeing the message of the gospel continue to spread right here in our community, from one community to the next, across the state and across the world. That's the picture of who we want to be. We want to be a church that plants other churches. And the reason for that is not because we want to see some people get rich like the guy standing on the platform. That's not what it is for us. Like what it is for us is to see people come together and grow in the message of the gospel and then disciple other people. We want to be a model of that. We want other people to look at our church at some point and say, man, not like they're knocking out of the park, they're really cool. But we want to be just like that Macedonian church. And I think the flip side of that too is that there are others who have modeled that for us. We've had many churches and many individuals outside of our church family that have invested heavily, like really generously, thousands upon thousands of dollars, 60-some thousand dollars a year to be exact, for the purpose of the gospel taking root in a group of people so that we could continue to do the same thing. Modeling generous giving means that we must see these opportunities for giving generously as favorable opportunities, something that we would want to jump into and do. It's a vision to catch a hold of. We should be motivated to give generously because of the model of other Christians who give generously. And when we do this, when we do this, we, 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 we do what's basically not expected. Paul says that, that when the Macedonian churches gave generously, it like superseded his ex- expectations. He said, it was not as we expected because they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Meaning, the people in Macedonia came to the Lord, began following Jesus because of the preaching of the message of the gospel. And then what happened after that was they gave themselves to us. Paul speaking us, meaning he and his cohort, not of mafia hitmen, right? Paul is speaking of he and his cohort of guys that were out, his band of brothers that were like planting churches, preaching the gospel. He said they gave themselves first to the Lord, Jesus, I'm following you. And then they gave themselves to us as their leaders, So that then as we led them, they became exceedingly generous, which blew our expectations, not as we expected. (coughs) We model generous giving like it destroys the categories of our expectations. Think again when somebody does something generous towards you or towards someone else. Doesn't it make you think, holy cow, I cannot believe they just did that. I remember the story of when some of you gospel communities got together and went to Jennifer's house. Like, I hope that's okay. Like, when you guys did that, like, that was huge. That was huge. Like, I've seen some of you guys come together and help put gas in each other's cars. I've seen some of you guys uh, come together and help people who needed to get a hotel room for a night. You guys have been exceedingly generous. Last week's offering was another piece of that that Eric talked about earlier. Like, we have seen some definite generous growth in and amongst our people. And hey, it's not just money, like a little bunny trail for a minute. It's also your time and your talent. Like God has given us so much. He's been so generous with us that now we are to manage or steward what he's given us. So, so we, are, we are to continuously plan to use our time rightly. We are, we are to continuously plan to use our talents in a way that would bring him honor and make more disciples. We are to continuously do the same thing with our treasure, our money. And by doing so, it's meant to blow out the expectations of the watching world around us. And you think about our community. Let's say this a thousand times. I feel like it probably because it's part of the mantra of what we kind of like sit on. 
26,000 people in our community. 70% of them do not know Jesus or are a part of a church. That's 19,000 people. Think about it, 19,000 people. Seems like a raw number. 19,000 people have not heard the gospel or leaned into it or become part of a church in our community. That's a good reason for like five more churches to get started tomorrow. That happens through the generous giving of people who have been given to generously by a Father in heaven and then therefore are motivated to continue giving of themselves generously as well. This is the Macedonian church at work. It's a model of generous giving despite the excuses and the hardships. When people give themselves to the Lord first and then follow the will of, of, of His will of giving generously, the categories of our expectations get shattered. I remember when I was younger and I'd gotten hit by that truck and, and I couldn't walk because I'd broken my leg and I remember I was not a Christian until that day and Jesus spoke to me and was like, hey dude, you need to come follow me or your life's going to be a wreck. It is a wreck. You're going to continue wrecking if you continue this way. So come follow me and I started following him that day and when I got home, I'll never forget my dad's church coming and saying to me, hey, we're going to buy you groceries. We're going to pay your bills for the next couple of months so that you can recover from this accident. That, was, that blew my categories for what Christians would or could do. I always saw Christians as being pharisaical, hypocritical, all clean cut, thinking they had it all together and pointing their finger at me because I didn't have it all together, right? And these guys came and they made an offering so generous that it blew the categories of my mind. Think of, think of how we could be that for people in this community as we continue to grow. Think of how we could continue to be that as we continue to grow as individuals within community, as a model of giving generously, as we reflect what God has done for us. This model of generous giving that was set forth by these Macedonians that Paul is talking about, like a further prompts this apostle, the apostle Paul, uh, to urge Titus in this passage to finish what he had started among the Corinthians. And therefore, complete among them this act of grace also. See, Paul had apparently left Titus in Corinth in charge of the church that Paul had planted there. And one of Titus' responsibilities was to observe the regular collection and deposit of the offerings of the church. So in light of the model of the Macedonian churches and their generous giving, Paul urges or urged Titus to complete what he had begun. He's basically saying, hey, Titus, talk to your church. Talk to them about completing what they started. Don't let them out of this. Make sure you urge them. Make sure you continue to motivate them to be who they are called to be, to finish what they begin, to finish what they started. He urges them to complete what they had begun. And when we give generously, like we, we, we don't just actually serve just to pay the bills, so to speak, but we also serve to motivate the generous giving of other people around us in the ministry and the message of the gospel. We should be motivated by other people's generous giving. We should be motivated to give generously by other people's generous giving. We should also be models and examples of motivation for others to give generously the ministry, the gospel as well. It's a reciprocal thing. It's not just that we want to necessarily, in any means, be the ones on the front page of the newspaper because we've given X, Y, Z. That's not the picture. The picture is that when we give of ourselves generously, the gospel causes growth in us. As you look at verses 7 through 9, we move on and we kind of learn that we should be motivated to give generously because of the message of the gospel as well. 
Oh, heavens. It's 20 after. I'm only on point two. All right, verses 7 through 9, we learn that we should be motivated to give generously because of the message of the gospel. I want you to think about the message of the gospel with me for a minute. Think about the generosity of God towards you through the message of the gospel. Like at some point, God was generous enough to send someone to share the message of the gospel with every one of us in this room. For some of you, this could be the first time. At some point, God was generous enough to send someone. At some point, the Holy Spirit was generous enough to open your heart to the message of the gospel. At some point, uh, you understood the generosity of the cross of Christ and the power of the empty tomb, which is the point of the gospel. At some point, you realized your poverty and your helplessness and your hopelessness without Christ. At some point, my prayer is that every one of you in this room have either witnessed that and seen that, understood that, or you, or you maybe get there tonight that you begin to understand that my life is hopeless and helpless without Christ. That God has created every one of us as eternal beings. And that our, our life here on earth, our physical life is just a snapshot, a snap of the finger in terms of eternity. And the message of the gospel says is that, yes, we were created as eternal beings, but we have fallen so far away from God because of our sin and our mess. And that not, not like God just kind of like responded somehow. He was like, oh, great, all these people messed it up. They jacked it up again. i got to do something. Let's go back to the cosmic boardroom and like make a plan on this. God didn't do that. This is before the foundations of the world. God knew everything that would happen. He knew every moment, every second of time, every hair that was on your head. He knows those things. Therefore, he creates this plan to send his son at some point in time to live 30-some-odd years on the earth to then die on a cross as a perfect human being so that you and I by our faith and our trust in him because of his power over Satan, sin, and the grave because the tomb is empty because of those things. We can then trust in him and be made right before our Father in heaven. This is the generosity of our Father in front of us. This is the generosity of the message of the gospel. This is the good news. That's what should motivate us. It's the message of the gospel. Some of you or here, maybe you've never heard that message, or maybe you've never heard it quite like that. My prayer and my hope is that you get nothing else from this message. And in fact, I pray that you don't, you, don't, you don't sit here and think, oh, they just want my money, they want me to write a check. No, no, what we want more than anything else is for everyone in this room, saved and unsaved, to continue to catch a bigger picture of Jesus and the cross of Christ, which doesn't just save you in one moment. It continues to save you day by day. You don't believe it one day and then stop believing it the next. You believe it one day and you believe it more and more and more every day forward as you wrestle through the mess of sin deep within you that keeps a hold of you as you continue to be set free by the power of the cross and what you see in all of that is the generosity of a loving Father in heaven. Generosity of a loving Father in heaven. That should motivate us. You can't outgive God. You can't be more generous than He is. There's no way. There's no way. Paul wants us to be motivated to give generously because of the message of the gospel. He says, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in all our love for you, see that you excel, not only in those things, see that you also excel in this 
act of grace also. He wants us to be people that are growing in our ability, our desire to be generous in giving. I say this not as a command. I love the, the fact that the Apostle Paul says that. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. That, that's, it's an interesting play on words the Apostle Paul uses that we're going to get to it in a minute but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know, you know, do you know? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here and you know the grace of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know the generosity of God. You know how generous He is. You know how good He is. You know you can't outgive Him. You know you know the picture of generosity in the cross. It's, it's affected your heart so deeply that you know it. There's no reason that you and I cannot be generous in our giving because we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor so that you by His poverty might become rich. <coughs> it's quite simply the message of the gospel it should motivate us. Paul wasn't commanding the Corinthian church to give generously. He was seeking to motivate them. He was seeking to give them a little bit of a, a push to motivate them to grow or to excel in giving generously in light of the gospel, which was causing growth in other areas of their lives. I mean, if, you, if you're growing in some areas of your life, if you are a Christian, if you're following Jesus and you're growing in some areas like faith, knowledge, love, you're growing in some of those areas. The other area the Apostle Paul wants us to grow in, and I would say uh, by default God wants us to grow in, is in our ability to give generously. Paul's saying that it's important to grow in the areas of our gifting. He's also teaching us that we should be motivated to grow in giving generously because of the message of the gospel. And he seeks to motivate the Corinthians to give generously in light of his love for them. Catch that. This is interesting. He, he seeks to motivate them to give generously in light of his love for them in the gospel. When he says this, he says, As you excel in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul didn't want the Corinthians to give generously simply because of a command. Then we would just be creating robots, not people who love God with their lives. It's not, what, it's not what the Apostle Paul is seeking. It's why he didn't command it. He does urge it. I urge this. Like, everybody go, mm. thank you. I know you guys are still awake. You haven't checked me out yet. Like Paul is urging us to, to give it everything we've got to grow in this area of giving generously. And he seeks to motivate the Corinthians based upon his love for them. He didn't want them to give because of a command. He wanted them to give because it was a reciprocal result of his love for them and their love for him because of the work of the gospel among all of them. Think about the way in which we model our love for one another in our ability and our desire to give generously. What a great model of the way that we love each other. Watching my kids sometimes during the week, and I, sometimes I'm horrified at, at the amount of selfishness among them because of what, not only what they've probably seen in me as a model, but also just is a, is a representation of the sin that's still at work in them as God works his grace out in them. So there are some days where I'm kind of horrified, right? But there are some days where I'm just like, wow. Like my son, Lewis, who kind of latched on to making these uh, egg sandwiches. Uh, I was telling my coach, Todd Bumgarner, in, in Lincoln about this the last time we met. and It was just a great picture of God's generosity. As I was getting ready to leave that day, Lewis had gotten up late. He was out of school and 
And uh, I was heading off for Lincoln. He was like, Dad, I'm going to make some egg sandwiches. He learned how to do this on the griddle. He knows how to turn the griddle up to the right temperature, put the butter on the griddle, get the egg on there, make sure you don't burn the edges and all this stuff. And you got you to gotta smash the yolk. You got to flip the yolk over. You got to put it on a piece of bread. You got to toast the bread on the griddle, all these things. You know, he's got it all done. He's making bacon. And he's like, Dad, do you want one? I'll make one for you. And I'm like, no, man, I, like, I got to get it going. He's like, well, what time are you going to be home? Like he, he, what he was thinking of is he was planning out his day for when dad would get home so that he could then make me a sandwich, an egg sandwich. I remember my buddy Todd being like, dude, you better get home and eat that sandwich then. But this was just such, a, such an awesome picture of like reciprocal love between us. Like I, I remember teaching him how to make that sandwich, and now he's giving that same benefit back to me. This is the picture that Paul is speaking of when he says, as you excel in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul knew that he had once persecuted the Christian church. Think about that if you're Paul. He knew that he was once known as Saul, the persecutor of the brethren. The one who would come and breathe fire down our necks because we were preaching Christ. Paul knew the sins he had committed and often referred to himself as the chief of all sinners. He walked around in this deep humility knowing where he had been. I know that every one of us in this room, we know where we have been and we know the generosity of God in the gospel towards us. We know the love of other Christian saints around us. Paul knew. Paul knew where he had been. He also knew that the Corinthian church had at one time been Gentile unbelievers. And what Paul was seeking to do was to motivate them by reminding them that his love for them was a result of the work of the gospel. And that their love for him was a result of the work of the gospel. So he sought to then motivate their generous giving in light of the work of the message of the gospel between the two of them as they became reciprocal in their love for each other because of the love that God had poured down from above. This is, this is what happens in the midst of Christians who hear the message of the gospel and respond to it based upon the generosity of God's grace and love among us. We should be motivated to give generously because of the message of the gospel which results in us being recipients of God's love to and through others. Paul says he wants the Corinthian church to prove. Final thing he says in this second section He wants the Corinthian church to prove that their generous giving, and through their generous giving, that their love is actually authentic. Look at it. He says, I want to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. He's basically saying, hey, I've come to motivate you today by the earnestness of the Macedonian church. And Corinthian church, I want to prove by their motivation of you that your love for the Lord and your love for other Christians and your love for the gospel and your love for the church is authentic and genuine. It's not fake. It's real. And it's following through and carrying out in the overflowing of the abundance of God's grace through your generous giving. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. I want to prove to the watching world that your faith is genuine. I have to say that I want that too. I want that for us. I want what the watching world sees around us is a genuine and authentic implanting of the message of the gospel which, which flourishes out into flowers and trees which are people who are being continuously transformed by the message of the gospel which makes disciples who make other disciples. I want us to have an authentic love proven by our generous giving. Paul also reminds the Corinthians of the basics of the gospel, which we've gone over a few times. He says that though Jesus was rich, man, don't forget the wealth of Jesus. 
He owns it all. He owns everything. Like he was sitting in heaven, got everything he needed, didn't need to leave for a soda. Nothing. He's got, and he, like he had every car you could ever want, right? He owns everything. But he left it all behind there in heaven to come here, to spend time among you and I, to walk in this sinful earth so that we could receive forgiveness for our sins, so that we could move from being children of wrath and children of darkness to becoming children of light and recipients of God's love. This is what Jesus did. He left that wealth behind and came here and lived like a poor person, actually lived as a poor person, had nowhere to lay his head, didn't have a mansion to go home to at night, didn't have a flat screen TV to watch, couldn't hop in his four-wheel drive to leave, couldn't hop on his motorcycle to go anywhere either. He just walked. He just walked. Had nowhere to lay his head. Trusted his Father in heaven to give him his daily bread, everything that he needed. He was rich, yet for your sake, for your sake and for my sake, he, did, he, he came to bring glory to himself, yes, but you and I are the reciprocal beneficiaries of the paycheck or the, or the check that Jesus wrote with his life on the cross. This is what Jesus did for you and I. Gave that up, became poor so that you and I could become wealthy. So that we could become wealthy and, and know him and know his Father. I can think of no other wealth that you or I could ever want outside of knowing our good Father in heaven. To be able to look at him and say, Daddy, Daddy, I'm coming into your presence now. Daddy, I can't wait to walk into your presence and worship you and love you and hear from you through your word and spend time praying. Daddy, I get to come into your presence because of the check that Jesus wrote on the cross. This is the picture of the basics, the message of the gospel. By Christ's death upon the cross, we get to become more spiritually wealthy than our wildest dreams could ever bring. And in the final piece of this passage, in the last five verses, it took me this long to get through this many verses. I don't know what we're going to do. really don't. Sorry. <coughs> Tomatoes. I feel them coming. Tomatoes. <clears throat> Verses 10 through 15, as we move into the final piece, it's not just that Paul seeks to motivate us through the, uh, the, the picture of other Christians who give generously and how we ought to be giving generously and being models of that as well, but he also wants to seek to motivate us through the message of the gospel, but the final piece he wants to motivate us through is our commitment to the community of the gospel which is being built around us. Think about your commitment to the community of the gospel for a minute. Think about your commitment to the community of the gospel. Most of us begin in a community of the gospel as consumers, meaning what can you give me? What can I get from you? Are your children's programs good? Does people like me? Do people talk to me? Are the seats comfortable? I'm sorry they're not that comfortable here, but we're asking these questions. Does the preacher preach fast enough? Uh, is, is the music just about right? We come as consumers looking to see what, what will serve our needs. Do we like it? Do we fit and then what happens from that point forward, hopefully, as the gospel affects us, is that we are supposed to go from being mere consumers to then givers who give generously as God continues to give to us. Not that our consumeristic side of us ever goes away. We're still a needy people. We need the community of the gospel. It's not that that goes away. It's just simply that we don't view it merely from our little blinders and our little lens of me, I, me, I. Like those birds on Nemo. <laughs> Love that illustration. The Holy Spirit is good, like just gave that to me right here. See how generous God is? How about that? See how generous God is? 
Man, like he just, he can paint pictures for you of how generous he is in the moment, just like that. I'm not that smart. Not. Ain't got a degree. Ain't got a high school diploma. So you want a smarter pastor, you should find somebody else. That ain't me. Okay? That's how generous God is. And God just pours out pictures of his grace in our lives. Pours out a picture of what it looks like to be committed to community, right? What does that look like for us? We usually start out as consumers, and what God wants through the gospel is to transform us into a community of givers. Oh, man. We both receive benefits and give generously to one another as we mature in the gospel. Paul explains to the Corinthians that his encouragement to give generously is a benefit to them. He says, this benefits you that I'm preaching this to you. This benefits you that I would say this to you. In other words, think about it this way. If Paul never said this, he would believe and I would believe and I think God would preach this here right now. That If Paul never said this, we would not receive the benefit from it. I'm saying this, it's a benefit to you, you who a year ago, how many of you have become members in just the last year? Think about that for a minute, right? Think about that. Who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. And then he continues to encourage them by saying, so now finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Paul is reminding the Corinthians of the commitment that they made a year ago to the community of the gospel. He reminds them that their commitment like flowed out of their desire and their readiness to financially invest in the community of the gospel. And then he encourages them to follow through, to finish well, to complete it well, to finish what they had committed to. We should be motivated to give generously because of our commitment to the community of the gospel around us so that our desires will be matched or proven by our readiness and willingness to be accountable to our commitments. Paul says it's a benefit for us to give generously because of our commitment to the community of the gospel. Now, I'm going to invite our musicians to come and hope that all of you can still focus while they're coming. Okay, so focus. Focus as they're walking. I'll try to expedite this up for us. Paul says it is a benefit to us to give generously because of our commitment to the community of the gospel. He says, if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Paul is simply saying that the Corinthians needed to be ready to put their money where their mouths were in terms of what they were giving generously. He wasn't expecting them to like make large faith pledges based upon some fickle number from some like pie in the sky or feeling of guilt or sense of like return on their investment like so many other faith teachers of their day and honestly our day propose. What Paul expected was that the Corinthians were to think hard about what the Lord was providing for them. Think hard about what the Lord was providing for them and then plan and give accordingly. And then by doing so, they would be giving generously. As he wraps this up, Paul is basically saying that we should be motivated to give generously because of our commitment to the community of the gospel by putting our money where our mouths are in light of what God has provided for us. Shares this final aspect. Giving generously in the last couple of verses. And he says, hey, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, catch this, whoever gathered much had left over, and whoever 
Uh, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is the story out of Exodus chapter 15, I believe, where the Israelites have come out of Exodus. They've been one out of slavery. It's a picture of the gospel. They've been one out of slavery, taken miraculously out of slavery to Egypt, which is just like or a, a prototype of our slavery to our sin, where every day I'm a slave to sinning more and more, and I continue to go back and I drink at that filthy fountain for more and more, and it enslaves me. It's got my hands tied behind my back, and I can't hardly live. That's the picture of Egypt. It's the same picture of our sin. And when God comes to speak to you and I through the message of the gospel, what he does, he sets us free. He sets us free in the gospel. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. And then in the picture of Exodus 15, we see the people grumbling. Oh, this is so hard to follow you, God. Now we're starving. And God says, that's fine. Go out every morning. I will rain down bread from heaven. I will feed you day by day. Don't gather any more than you need, though. <coughs> and this provision in your life will be a picture of me, God. It will be a picture of God and his provision for us every single moment of every single day. This is the way in which we approach our Father in heaven, totally needy, totally dependent upon him, always, always. And when Paul says this to the Corinthians, he says, hey, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. He's reminding the Corinthians of how the Israelites in the Old Testament gathered that manna on a daily basis so that they could eat. And he's reminding them how the community, like the original community of the gospel in Israel, he's reminding us of how they would then split all of this manna, all this food daily among the community so that every person could be fed regardless of how little or how much a person brought to the offering. It's not about how much you and I bring. It's that we give generously because God has given generously to us. Does anybody believe God's given generously today? Yeah? Yeah, that should get you really excited. Like God's given so generously. What Paul is saying is, hey, hey, don't forget that original community of the gospel who was one out of sin to be set free so that they could then live trusting in God every single day. When we give generously because of our commitment to the community, the gospel, we are effectively giving out of what we have been given so that the community of the gospel can be fed with the gospel. We should remember at this point that Jesus said this. He said, He is the manna that came down from heaven. And a man cannot live upon bread alone, but upon every word that comes from the mouth of God or, or, or the gospel message. It's the only thing that will sustain us for all of eternity. It's why we preach this message so strong. This is the calling of a community of the gospel. Calling us to be a community that is committed to giving generously to the ministry of the gospel so that people are taught to feed upon Christ alone within the community of the gospel? Are you modeling what it means to be a Christian who gives generously? Are you motivated to give generously because of the message of the gospel? Are you motivated to give generously because of your commitment to the community of the gospel that is being planted in your midst? What is it that motivates you to give generously? Let me pray. Hey, Father, thank you. Thank you for this privilege and this opportunity that it is to 
preach your word, to hear from your word. God, I so pray that that you would lead us to just a fresh picture of how big and how great and how awesome and how generous you are. Help us to be generous in light of your generosity towards us. Help us to be motivated by Christ. Picture of his broken body, shed blood at the cross. Help us to be empowered to continue to give generously based upon the picture of the gospel, which reminds us that the tomb is empty. You are powerful over Satan, sin, and death. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? I want to invite you guys to stand with us. And over the next few moments, as we close in worship, I know it's a little late, but as we close in worship, we also close in prayer. There'll be me here and somebody over here to pray with you if you have any needs whatsoever. There's nothing too small that we wouldn't like to pray with you about. And then as you come to and as you worship, we also worship God through the taking of communion together. There'll be a few here near the front to serve you. And as you come, we reflect on the generosity of God and the broken body of Jesus as you take the bread and the, and the shed blood of Christ as you dip it in the cup. And the only thing I'd like to finish by saying is that if you're here and you're not a member of our church, that's okay. You can still partake in communion. In fact, we invite you to as long as you're a Christian. That moment could have happened now or it could have happened 50,000 years ago if you're as old as I am. <laughs> it could have happened now or it could have happened a long time ago. It doesn't matter when it happened. If you had a moment of faith where you said, I trust in Jesus to save me from my sin, it doesn't mean life has to be perfect. It means, that, it means that your life is continuing to look like Christ as you follow him. And then by doing this, you're remembering what saves you and changes you. So I invite you guys to worship, come, partake in communion. Remember Christ, the cross, the generosity of our Father in heaven as he motivates us to be generous givers as well. Thanks for letting me preach. I love you guys. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.